Hello everyone, welcome to our second day of our reading challenge through the book Steps to Christ. My name is David Asherick and this is my good friend Elise Harbold. Right on time. I as I was doing that, I was wondering if you were going to do it. Whew, you made me a little Whew, nervous. made you there. nervous. So, uh, Elise, you just arrived here today, and we'll get to you in just a second. I've okay. got a couple quick announcements That's to make. Right. But maybe let's start by welcoming people. Yep. You're a little closer. I actually okay. have a difficult time mm -hmm. seeing that. So, welcome our Instagram Live. Welcome to everybody on YouTube. We're going to say hello to some people momentarily, and then we'll get right into this. Mm-hmm. Who do you hi, got? Steven. Hi. That's Johnny, Mr. Opportunity 777. Oh, yeah. Some of these people have cryptic names. Yeah, they're hard. They just hi, go Kylie. right by. Hi, Christina, good to see you. Barbara says, your shirt is written backward. What does it say? It says, love awakens love awakens love. Hello, Christine. Hi. Oh, look at that one. Eclectic Eyes, oh, 74. Eclectic Eyes. There's Hannah, Michelle. Grace, Faith, Hope, Love, Three, Stephen. Well, I guess I can see it all right. High types and symbols. <laughs> Thank you for the books. Um, so welcome everybody that is tuning in right now on Instagram Live, and welcome to those of you that are tuning in on YouTube. Yesterday was session one. We did kind of an overview, an introduction. Did you listen to any of that, Elise? Part of it. A little bit of it. Okay, good. And we had no technical problems at all. So I'm anticipating that we're not going to have any technical problems today. I claim that by faith. Types and symbols says howdy, by the way. Howdy. Howdy. But if we do have technical problems. It'll all be okay. Yeah, because we're going to talk about theodicy. Exactly. Which we'll get to in just a little bit. Yeah. But I've got two quick announcements to make and people are still sort of signing on here. Well, too bad for them. They're a little late. I think I hit right at seven o'clock. Boom, I was on. So two quick announcements. The first is I mentioned yesterday that we were going to have t-shirts available for the SC with DA reading challenge, and they are available and they are awesome. Mm -hmm. You saw them. What'd you Love think? Them. Love them. You thought they were good? Yep. Good job. Very nice. Minimalist design uh, done, of course, by types and symbols. They are available right now for order on the typesandsymbols.com website. There's only, you know, sort of a standard short sleeve shirt, a, a female or feminine cut short sleeve shirt, and then a long sleeve shirt, which I'm so happy about. The price is reasonable. I think it's $20 for the short sleeve, including shipping, $28 uh, for the long sleeve, including shipping. And the way we're going to do this is we're only going to order as many shirts as people express interest in. So you've only got from now until the end of January, and then those shirts are gone. When I go around sometimes to these Arise Intensives, people will see like a DA with DA or an OT with DA shirt. They say, oh, I want one of those. I I'm sorry. They're just, when they're gone, they're gone. So if you have an interest in that, you've got about two weeks to get it ordered. Go to typesandsymbols.com. I will also put up a post about it tomorrow uh, on my Instagram and Facebook pages. They look really sharp. And uh, this is a new supplier that we've not used before, but but Mark has reached out to them. He has confidence in them. So shirts are available. Check them out. I'm really excited about them. I think they look great. That's number one announcement. Number two announcement is amazing and awesome. And for those of you that are listening in to YouTube, you're going to want to act quick because they might already be gone by the time I say this. Some very generous donor has stepped up to the plate and has offered to purchase 
50 copies of, can I, can I use your book here yeah. at least? So this is the sharing version, still very beautiful. It's kind of a, like a hard paper version of Steps to Christ, but the layout and everything are just like the hardcover versions. And they have purchased 50 of these, and they are available for free. Yes, I said that, just like salvation. They are free. And free to us, I should say, because salvation, of course, was extremely costly to God, which we're going to talk a little bit about today. But the way you get one of these, if you're interested, it's so simple, it's so easy. You just go to Types and Symbols website, typesandsymbols.com, and you put one of these in your cart. This is the Steps to Christ Sharing Edition. And you then go, as you're checking out, if you purchase anything else, that's fine too, but you don't have to purchase anything else. And all you do in the promo code slash discount code is just put in sharing Jesus. That's it. And this is for you. And we, what we really want is for people that take these. If you need one yourself, by all means, keep it. But what we're really hoping is that you will take it and then share it. These are beautiful. They're easy to share. They look sharp, attractive. So sharing Jesus is the promo code, one per household, please. And uh, the first 50 that go on there, you could go on right now. The first 50 they are free, and when those 50 are gone, uh, they're gone. So a big shout-out to the donor that made that available. That's super cool. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Very cool. Those are, that's it. Those it are my... wasn't me. I'm just going to go ahead and say that. <laughs> Elise, thank you. So... No, it wasn't Elise. Um, okay, so those are our announcements. I spent a lot of time last night sort of going over announcements, and we've got so much to talk about in terms of Chapter 1, mm -hmm. the content of it. I don't want to spend, uh, you know, any unnecessary time. So, Elise, let's just catch up with you briefly. Okay. You flew in today. Very briefly. I or flew you flying yesterday? I flew in on Wednesday. Oh, you flew in on Wednesday. I've been watching a dog. Um, I signed up for this house-sitting thing that matches house-sitters with pets that need to be sat. So, if you want to go to a certain part of the country or world, you can find a place. So, I've been watching a dog. And I graduated a few weeks ago. <laughs> um, Those are funny things to put in juxtaposition. Dog and graduated. That's basically all you Okay, need wait, to wait, know. wait. I've got to ask okay. you a couple questions okay. about this. So you're doing a house sitting thing. That's just temporary. Yeah. You're here in Denver for a few days. Right. Watching a little dog. Watching a dog. Sitting a house. And it worked out conveniently. Or was it designedly? Well, I did it because this was happening and I High wanted five. to see some people in Denver. Okay, great. Your friends yeah. Ivan and Livy, uh -huh. and maybe some I others. I saw them last night. And your friends David and Violetta. Right. And Bernice and Jose. That's right. Um, so you're doing the dog sitting thing. You're doing the house sitting thing. Okay, that's sort of in the short term. Okay. But then you just sort of threw in there. Oh, and by the way, I graduated. Yeah. So I gradu Well, tell us a little more about that. Sure. So I graduated with my master's in biblical counseling from Southern Adventist University. Um, we probably have some Southern people watching. Mm. And I am trying to figure out what to do next. Um, I'm working on a podcast that will be launching sometime this year. What's the name of the podcast? Well, it will be announced. It, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> Your publicist needs to make it clear to me what questions I should and shouldn't ask. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. You're working on a podcast. Yeah. And I'm um, looking into PhD options, but this year I'm planning on just working. Okay, so taking a year working in 2023. Mm -hmm. Now, when you say possible PhD options, is that in that sort of same vein of um, biblical counseling? In theology. Theology. Because I've kind of been doing a few different things at once. So I've also been taking classes to um, be prepared for a PhD in theology. Okay. Mm -hmm. How many degrees do you have right now? 
Well, it doesn't matter. <laughs> More than one? Um, yeah. Okay. It's okay. All right. I won't. Po- I won't. See, degrees are sometimes really overrated. So I got gotcha. you. I don't know. No, you're a smart cookie. So congratulations Thank on you. graduating. Yeah. And now a spirit-filled, biblically Bible-believing. Biblical counselor, I was trying to figure out how to say that right, has been released okay. into the world. So go get him. I'm trying. I mean, that's not why we need to start. Okay, we're going to start. Okay. So welcome, everybody. So glad you're here. Elise, you will be with us today and tomorrow, chapters one and chapter two. Mm-hmm. By the way, thank you for changing your ticket yes. so that you could be here tomorrow. Of course. And uh, without further ado, welcome again to everybody on Instagram Live. We've got over 500 people already tuned in and more signing up. And for those of you on YouTube, welcome. Elise, I'm going to have you, I'm going to ask you to have prayer for us, and we're going to get right into chapter one. Okay, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the chance to be here together, Mm. Um, people from all around the world coming together, and this is such a beautiful chapter, Mm. it's such a rich chapter, and I really believe that you inspired um, the author, Mm -hmm. and that there are so many um, really heartwarming, powerful realities about your love in this chapter. We just Mm. ask that you would guide our conversation, that you would help it to be a blessing, and that you would um, give each person listening a special sense of your personal love for them. Mm -hmm. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Beautiful. Okay. Uh, For those of you that are new to the With DA Reading Challenges, this is basically what we do. We've Spent today already, and hopefully you have as well, reading through the chapter, in this case, chapter one. And we'll spend a while just sort of talking through and walking through the paragraphs, the themes, the ideas, anything that jumped out. And then what we'll do at the end is we'll go through the specific rubric in the journal, Mm -hmm. which is the point, person, prayer, practice, promise. And then we will do the the revealing of the word, right? So the idea here is that we um, try and capture, did you do this? Did yeah. you, did you, you got your word. Yep. We try to capture what the chapter was all about in a single word. It's hard to do. Sometimes it's easier, but sometimes it's hard. For me, today was easy. Mm-hmm. And I'm excited about my word, by the way. Very excited. Um, in fact, don't look over here because my word is all over my notes. And okay. then you'll see it. No cheating. But that's what we're going to do. So let's just start. By, okay. This is a short chapter, but yep. what it lacks in length, it more than makes up for in profundity, beauty, I mean, this is amazing. Mm -hmm. The chapter is titled God's Love for Man. It's the first of 13 chapters. And Elise, if you don't mind, I'll just maybe put you right on the spot and have you read maybe the first two paragraphs. Okay. And um, that'll just get us rolling and we'll be off to the races. Nature and revelation alike testify of God's love. Our Father in heaven is the source of life, of wisdom, and of joy. Hmm. Look at the wonderful and beautiful things of nature. Think of their marvelous adaptation to the needs and happiness, not only of man, but of all living creatures. The sunshine and the rain that gladden and refresh the earth, the hills and seas and plains all speak to us of the creator's love. Mm. It is God who supplies the daily needs of all his creatures. Keep going. Yeah, definitely. In the beautiful words of the psalmist, the eyes of all look expectantly to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Okay, and then I'll just read the next paragraph. God made man perfectly holy and happy. 
And the fair earth, as it came from the Creator's hand, bore no blight of decay or shadow of the curse. It is transgression of God's law, the law of love, that has brought woe and death. Yet even amid the suffering that results from sin, God's love is revealed. It is written that God cursed the ground for man's sake, Genesis 3.17. The thorn and the thistle, the difficulties and trials that make his life one of toil and care, were appointed for his good as a part of the training needful in God's plan for his uplifting from the ruin and degradation that sin has brought. The world, though fallen, is not all sorrow and misery. In nature itself are messages of hope and comfort. There are flowers upon the thistles, and thorns are covered with roses. Okay, there's already a lot going on here, mm -hmm. but just sort of in those opening chapters here, the, the, the chapter is titled God's Love for Man, and we should just say briefly, as we mentioned yesterday, the book was originally published in 1892. So to state the obvious, but it does need to be stated in this modern time, when Ellen White is saying man or mankind mm -hmm. or using the pronoun his or him, this is a reference to humankind. That's If she were writing today, she would almost certainly use humankind. Mm -hmm. And so that's what's obviously being, uh, is meant here, right? Humankind, God's love for humankind. So Elise, What's kind of jumping out to you? How do you want to do this? Do you want to just move through sort of paragraph at a time, or do you want to give us sort of your cosmic overview of the chapter? Wow, cosmic overview. Yeah, yeah, like your big picture. Um, I I just had little things along the way. Okay, well, what do you yeah. have? You got anything for me so far? Well, yeah, one of the things I thought at the beginning is just, I thought about love languages, which I'm sure you've heard of, like of we course. talk about you know, words of affirmation, physical touch, like different love languages that people especially like to either give or receive. Yep. And like God, just this idea, God speaks every love language mm. and God is like leaving evidences of his love everywhere. So like if some extraterrestrial being came to earth, <laughs> gotcha. like looking for evidences of God's love, yeah, it's all over nature. Yeah. It's like all around us. So I love this idea of... Um, like, and and then the command words that come. Mm. She says, I, I like, didn't pick up on that. Yeah, so she oh, says, look, na think. nature and revelation alike testify yes. of God's love. God's love is everywhere. So look, think, notice. Right. Because apparently, pay if attention. We aren't intentional about doing that. We're going to miss a whole lot of it. Um, yeah, and to state the obvious, when she says nature and revelation, she means nature and scripture, mm -hmm. nature and the Bible. But it's look at look at me here. Same thing. I. I saw we that. We both circled them. We circled them. It really jumped out. It's like, pay attention. Yeah. Focus. Look. Think. And, and specifically, look at the wonderful and beautiful things of nature. Think of their marvelous adaptation to the needs and happiness, not only of mankind, but of all living creatures. Mm -hmm. So we're really being invited here to pay attention to the world around us through the lens mm -hmm. of God's love. Right? Yeah. I like that. I like that a lot. I also really like in the very next sentence, the sunshine and the rain that gladden and refresh the earth, the hills and the seas and the plains mm -hmm. all speak to us of the creator's love. This has that, you know, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 48, where Jesus is describing the love of God as being indiscriminate. In other words, it, it, he says that the sun shines on the righteous and on the wicked, and the rain falls on the righteous and on the wicked. So she's using that same language mm -hmm. here, the sun and the rain. And, and this is one of my favorite things about the writing of Ellen White. Even when there's not an express biblical reference, there is so there's a there is the 
the superstructure of Scripture is just inbuilt to her way of thinking yeah. and writing. And that really jumped out to me. Clearly, she's painting here an Edenic picture, mm -hmm. right? Because you have this language. Okay, these are the emotions that come up in, in paragraph one. Joy, happiness, and gladden, right? And then these are the sort of places that, we're de that are described. Nature, whole stop. And then you have beauty, creatures, earth, hills, seas, and mm -hmm. plains. So if you take seas, plains, earth, hills, creatures, beauty, nature, and you put them together with joy, happiness, and gladness, what do you have? You have Eden. Yeah. Right? She's describing creation as it came, as she says, fresh from the creator's hand. Mm -hmm. Very beautiful. And uh, then in paragraph two, you got anything there? Oh, the eyes of all paragraph? No, the God made man perfectly happy and holy. Oh, yeah. I just think, um, like, after this Edenic description, yep. this inevitably brings up this question, like, Okay, so <laughs> what gives? <laughs> yeah, like what about all the suffering? Hello. Yeah. yeah. And so it's she goes in without you know articulating that question. She goes straight into to answering it. Now you said just moments ago we're going to be talking about theodicy. Mm -hmm. And for our viewers and listeners that don't know what theodicy is, uh, you're the theologian. What is theodicy? And because we're already there, we're you're the like, theologian. Well, both of us. So we're just like literally in paragraph two, and she's right into theodicy. Yeah. So what is theodicy? Yeah, so theodicy is an attempt to explain God's character of love in light of human suffering, because one of the biggest questions that people have is, why is there so much suffering if God is love? Right. How do we affirm the goodness of God in the face of ubiquitous suffering and evil? Yeah. Right? And the attempt to affirm God's goodness is theodicy. It's the, we're trying to make the case that we can affirm both things simultaneously. Suffering is real, evil is real, and God is good. Mm -hmm. And so she goes right into it, and, and this is a, a feature of Ellen White's writings, as it is for many uh, people that, you know, evangelicals and Protestants and historical theologians that are steeped in the language of Scripture and the motifs of Scripture, there is a warfare, there is a conflict, something is going on behind the scenes that are obscuring our picture of God's mm -hmm. creational intent and goodness. You yeah. feel that? Yeah, and she gets into that in more depth in a few pages. Okay. Yeah. You got anything else in that uh, paragraph there? Or even in the psalm? She quotes uh, Psalm 145. Um, are you in the same place? Yeah, yeah. Right here. Just oh, where yeah, she yeah. says the eyes of all look Oh, okay. So, yeah. Um, I'm watching this dog. Okay. And I've noticed that, like, he often looks at me expectantly. Like, <laughs> he's not the cutest dog. <laughs> he's got really big eyes. It's it's a chihuahua, okay? I was hoping you wouldn't say that. I shouldn't have mentioned it, but, you know. I'm triggered. But I saw later in the chapter, it says that Jesus, like, saw every soul as precious. So yeah. Jesus must love the chihuahuas as much as the golden retrievers, even if. <laughs> even if we don't, but this little chihuahua has the most expectant eyes and gets yeah. so excited and like looks at me for, you know, the food or the, or the leash to, be to go on the walk. Or yeah. It's just like this eagerness and it makes me happy, even though I don't like chihuahuas that much, like being able to satisfy yeah. his little desires. And so that, it, it, that sentence kind of jumped out at me in a way it hadn't before. And I think that pets, like we're talking about nature reveals yeah. God's love. We can learn a lot about 
God from our pets, both in the love they show That's us, true. but also like how they relate to us. Yeah, you've seen that bumper sticker that says, Lord, help me to be the person that my dog thinks I am. Yeah. Right? Like, it's true. There is something, you mentioned golden retrievers. There are certain breeds of dog. I mean, I, I like dogs, as long as they're <laughs> actually dogs. But there are certain breeds of dog that are so wonderful they have such an effervescent, friendly, amicable, mm. serving personality. Yeah. They're beautiful. Yeah. I mean, dogs are awesome. And, uh, okay, so just on that, that, that last little bit there of Psalm 145, we're on page 19 in the Types and Symbols version, page uh, 10 of the original pagination. Right at the end it says, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. And when I read that, that great quotation from C.S. Lewis, I know you from, are mm. familiar with it, maybe some others are as well, where Lewis is basically making this fascinating case where he's saying that, that creatures are not born with desires unless there is the resolution of mm. that desire. And then he gives several examples. He says a baby wants food. Well, there is such a thing as milk. And a duckling wants to swim. And there is such a thing as water. And, and human beings want sex. And there is such a thing as sex. And, and then he makes this fascinating conclusion. He says, if, however, I find in myself a desire which nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that mm -hmm. I was made for another world. Yeah. And I've, I've preached that many times over the years. But I, I love this idea that God is the one that satisfies our the desires that we have knowledge of, that we know yeah. what they are. But there is also a, an intangibility to something out there, something that's in the Ethereum. We, we want it, we long for it, we hope for it, but we can't always perfectly articulate it, right? Like we have these feelings of nostalgia yeah. and of longing, and that is, I believe, our soul crying out for something better mm -hmm. to be loved, to be received. I mean, she uses the language here of hope and comfort. Mm -hmm. And so that that was the the... I love quotation it. that and came to my mind. I love that one of the names in scripture for Jesus is desire. Yes. And that's why the desire of ages is, you know, I remember growing up, I, I just thought that was the name of a book. And then one day I was like, oh, that's, oh. that's Jesus. Yeah. Like he is the desire. Yeah. We're actually going to, can I just throw out something that advances us a little bit yep. here? The very next paragraph begins, God is love. And this is so interesting. I'm going to read this whole paragraph very quickly. God is love is written upon every opening bud, upon every spire of springing grass, the lovely birds making their air vocal with their happy songs, the delicately tinted flowers and their perfection, perfuming the air, the lofty trees of the forest with their rich foliage of living green, all testify to the tender fatherly care of our God and to, now watch this, his desire, mm -hmm. his desire to make his children happy. So I love what is happening here. She opens with how God longs to satisfy the desires of those that look expectantly to him, mm -hmm. Psalm 145. And then she goes from our desires that are found in God, the satisfactions of which are found in God. And then she says, God's desire is to make us happy, right? That in, in, that, in the, paragraph just, uh, the paragraph just before that one, the one I read, she says, you know, God made man perfectly holy and happy. Mm-hmm. And we, we sometimes think of holiness and happiness as two different things, but actually they're kind of the same thing. When we are holy as God intends, we are maximally happy. And if we want to be maximally happy, we're going to be finding our fulfillment and our satisfaction in God. Mm -hmm. And so I just thought that was so, um, I, I, I like the organization of it. And I thought it was so crafty to talk about how God satisfies his creature's desires, mm -hmm. but then God has his own desires, which are not selfish, but selfless, and his desire is for us to be holy and happy. I really liked that. Love it.
Can I jump in? Jump in. Okay, so I love that this is just such a beautiful passage. This um, God is love is written on every opening bud. That passage is um, at Southern carved in the prayer garden on a big wooden thing. Gotcha. Yeah, so I used to go there and just think about that quote. And um, I love how she's like engaging the senses, right? Mm. Like you're hearing the birds. Yes. You're seeing the flowers or smelling the flowers. You're seeing the trees. Um, And I think it's really important for us to like be intentional about engaging our senses in nature in a way that reminds us of God's love. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. um, I like like in the psychology world, we talk about mindfulness and um, like mindfulness just means to be aware of something. And Mm. for some people, like uh, there's Eastern meditation, they talk about mindfulness, but they're kind of taking it a different direction. But the word just means to be aware of something. Well, it's like in that first paragraph. Look. Yeah. Think. Yeah. Right. And I wrote an article, uh, it's on the Light Bears blog called Reclaiming Mindfulness, talking about how mindfulness from a Christian perspective is so much more meaningful. Mm. Because like, like therapists. It's an object. Yeah. So therapists are trying to train clients like, okay, to calm down, to center yourself, like, Look at nature, look at a flower, look at something beautiful, notice, smell, right? But for Christians, like, yeah, that's, it's connected to love. Like, it's connected to meaning and to creation. And so um, there's a much richer meaning than if we were coming at it from an evolutionary perspective. Although we could still enjoy nature, Mm -hmm. we wouldn't feel loved by it the Mm. same way that we do. And um, one of the, Mm. one of the things that made me want to do is, like, every day, like, how did I, you know, where did I see God's love in nature? Where did I smell God's love? Like, try to engage each of your senses every day. Yeah. And when you start practicing that habit, it's like, become second nature. Like, when I found out Violetta made sushi, I'm just like, Jesus loves me. Like, <laughs> Violetta made sushi. And Bernice made the cookie. And yeah. you're just like, Those cookies oh. were amazing. That sushi like, was amazing to yeah. me. Yeah. But it's because I, I've trained my mind to think that way where it used to just be sushi. Right. There's so much that you said there that I want to riff on. And one of the things that I love is that, you know, you were describing the therapist that's sort of practicing a a non-Christian or non-theistic version of mindfulness and is saying, look at beautiful things, look at nature, Mm -hmm. look at the flowers, look at the mountains, look at the trees. And God invites us to do the same. That's what Ellen White's saying here, too. She's acting in this uh, capacity as a therapist. She's saying, Mm -hmm. look at these things. But look at these things because they are all emblems. She also uses the word tokens. Mm -hmm. They're tokens of God's love. And I love your point. It's such a great one that smelling can be an act of worship. Mm -hmm. Seeing is an act of worship. Tasting is an act of worship. Hearing is an act of worship. And when we train our mind in this way, it becomes, like you said, second nature. It becomes reflective when a good thing happens, a good smell, a good taste, a good sound, a good experience, it's just immediately God is good. Mm-hmm. Because she opens the paragraph with God is love. I love that idea that we should just make the, the that we should jump that synapse as quickly as possible. Oh, we've seen a beautiful thing in nature. We've heard a beautiful thing. We've tasted a beautiful thing. We've experienced a beautiful thing. God is good. Mm-hmm. Right? We should just immediately jump across that synapse so we're not just appreciating the thing as an end in itself, but the thing as a means to an end to appreciate that, as she says, God is love. Yeah. And we can even incorporate some of this into like devotional time. Of course, you know, we can do it all through the day. Yeah. But like 
have an orange. Eat it with your, you know, you have your little quiet time and let the flavors burst yeah. and think about what God put in that orange for you. Do you know who's always talking about, I mean, you know who it is. Who's always talking about food in the context of the love of God? It's Ty. Yeah. It's like always like, I'll just call up Ty. Or sometimes, I, literally, it's a true story about Ty Gibson, a close friend of both of ours. I have had Ty on several occasions over the years call me up and say, David, I just had to call somebody. I just made the most amazing <laughs> Pasta sauce, it tastes so good. Let me just describe to you the flavors. And he will go into detail describing flavors. And then in classic Thai fashion, he'll say, okay, that's all. I just wanted you to know that I made this amazing pasta sauce and God is really good. Okay, I got to go. But I mean, like, <laughs> so you can see cooking and eating as an act of mm -hmm. worship. And just another thing that we've mentioned here briefly, but I, I want to say it. Notice how quickly Ellen White, she opens with creation Straight to theodicy, straight to God is love. Yep. I mean, these are features of her writing career, which lasted decades, right? Like 60 years of writing. And it is saturated in these themes of theodicy, the themes of God is love, and the themes of Edenic beauty and our call and our desire to return back to creation as originally intended. Mm -hmm. I'm okay. really excited about the next page. Okay, go, go. You want to just read oh. it to sort of set it up for us? You read. Okay, where I am I starting? Um, where am I starting? Well, just, I mean, describing like Moses' request. Right. So she yeah. says the, the word of God, I'm still at the bottom of page 19 here. The word of God reveals his character. He himself has declared his infinite love and pity when Moses prayed. And then she basically quotes here extensively from Exodus 33 and Exodus 34. Show me your glory. Yeah. And then he Moses says. Moses wanted to see God's glory. Okay. Is that what you wanted to comment on? Or you want me to keep going? Well, how God, what is God's glory? Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Well, go ahead. You want to answer? You no, want no, to I answer? want you to answer. Well, so Moses doesn't really know what he's asking, mm -hmm. right? When he's atop the mountain, God is hidden in, in you know, by the, the clouds and by the thunder and by the, you know, the immensity and grandeur of the experience. This is God, who is this God? I mean, he's just come out of Egypt. Of course, Moses is familiar with the Egyptian deities. And he wants to know who is this God that manifests himself in this way. So I don't think that Moses knows exactly what he's asking. Mm -hmm. I think Moses is mm -hmm. saying something like this. Can I see your form? Mm -hmm. I, I think he's saying, show me, I want to see something. What Do you look like a falcon? Do you look like a dog? Do you look like a snake? Do you look like a frog? What do you look like? Show me your form. Show me your glory. But God comes with an answer that I believe Moses was not anticipating. Mm -hmm. You with me? Yep. So his his glory is his character. Yeah. So the, so he lists out character attributes. Correct. Correct. The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, mm. keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Yep. Um. And so this is making me think like. Like every earthly ruler has sought some type of glory. Yeah. I mean, I think it's it's part of what we do as human beings is try to find some sort of like identity or oh, yeah. what we're known for. And gotcha. in, in Hebrew, the word for glory is kavad, um, which means like weight or heaviness. Like yeah. what what are you about? What gives you weight and significance? Yeah, we also will sometimes use the word gravitas to communicate yeah. that. So like you know, Putin right now is trying to establish his glory in a horrific way because mm. he wants to prove that he can do something. He wants to be known for expanding his territory and gotcha. his power. 
Um, but that is such a like sad, such a sad kind of and it's so transitory glory, right? right? But God's glory, the most powerful being in the universe, isn't about showing that showing His hand in force. It's about showing His love. His love, yeah. It's not about like land occupation yeah. and His power. And, and I like that Ellen White just says this expressly there in Exodus thirty three eighteen, quoting, um, "My goodness will pass before you." And then she just says, "This is His glory. This is His weightiness. This yeah. is who. Never mind my form. In fact, God." takes great pains to say to Moses over and over again atop Mount Sinai summit, you didn't see a form, you didn't see a form, you can't make anything that looks like me, I'm not like the Egyptian gods, this is what I am. The thing that I am is my character, it's my goodness, it's my glory, and it's amazing that God hid himself. You know, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament will say that he dwells in light that no one can approach. Mm -hmm. And Jesus will say things like, in fact, we're going to get to this in just a second, that, that no one knows God except him who was in the very bosom of the Father. So there is an, there is a, an ineffability and a mystery to God that when Moses just says, you know, I think sincerely, but a little ignorantly or naively perhaps, show me your glory, he doesn't, he doesn't understand this is not the Egyptian God. Mm -hmm. You know, this is not one of these ancient Near Eastern deities we're dealing with the creator, the one true God, and it doesn't work quite mm -hmm. like that. Yeah? Yeah. Um, then in the next paragraph, we get right into the into the great controversy, mm -hmm. right? And the enemy is introduced, Satan is introduced, and an important language is introduced, so much so that I'm going to quickly read this. God has bound our hearts to him by unnumbered tokens in heaven and in earth. This is what you were just describing a little bit ago mm -hmm. about eating an orange and smelling a rose and just going outdoors. Through the things of nature and the deepest and tenderest earthly ties that human hearts can know, he has sought to, and here's key idea in this chapter, and there's many synonyms, he has sought to reveal himself to us, yet these but imperfectly represent his love. Through all these evidence, though all these evidences have been given, and then here it is, dun, 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 the enemy, mm -hmm. the enemy of good and then there's a bunch of key words here. Blinded the minds of men so that they looked upon God with fear. They thought of him as severe and unforgiving. Mm -hmm. Satan, led men, uh, Satan led men to conceive of God as a being whose chief attribute was stern justice, one who was a severe judge and a harsh and exacting creditor. He pictured the creator as a being who is watching with jealous eye to discern the errors and mistakes of men that he may visit judgments upon them. Yep. Right, and I didn't read the last little bit there because it kind of brings resolution. Maybe I just should quickly read it. It was to remove this dark shadow by, here's our word, revealing to the world the infinite love of God that Jesus came to live among men. Mm -hmm. There's a lot going on in that paragraph. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let me just quickly, and then you chime in. Okay. So the, the key ones here are that you have these words reveal, represent, and revealing. Then you have all of these fascinating words that are used to describe what Satan did, and all of it has to do with perception, mm -hmm. which is why, Elise, just to give you a little shout out here, in the Types and Symbols journal for the, for the Light and Life collection, Elise is the one who did all the writing of the, oh, I almost showed my word there. Elise mm -hmm. is the one that did the writing for all of the intros. And you nailed this intro. I'm so proud of you. You did such a great job. And I'm going to read it. Okay. Yeah, this is like, I don't know what I said. What you said is amazing. And this is Elisa's summary of uh, this chapter. I'm going to read it. 
The Creator's loving fingerprints are evident all around us. The beauty of nature, the stories of Scripture, and the warmth of human connection all echo His tender love and care. Beautifully written. Although the enemy works to distort our, here it is, perception of God, Christ's life reveals that He is actively working to bless His creation and relieve human suffering. Contrary to the enemy's claims, the best word to describe God is love. And you nailed it there because the language that she's using here, listen, blinded, they looked, they thought, they conceived, they pictured God. And then she uses these three fascinating adjectives. Did you guys pick this up? She, she says, stern justice, hmm. severe judge, exacting creditor. Those three adjectives are fascinating in this context. Stern, severe, exacting. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is so incredible to me, and it's so illuminating, because what she's saying here is that the great controversy, this war that's being waged, is a war of perception. Jesus has come to reveal, to disclose, to represent, and this is working in opposition to Satan, the enemy. The word mm -hmm. Satan, Satan, just means adversary or enemy, to blind and to cause us to look upon God in a certain way. Well, how? as stern, exacting, and severe, mm -hmm. to conceive of him that way, to picture him that way. This is really a war of pictures and portraits of who God is and who he isn't. You know what this paragraph reminded me of? Yeah. It's this horrific story. Um, you've probably heard of it, but of J.C. Dugard. The, um, she wrote this book called A Stolen Life, and she was kidnapped yeah. Remind um, me, this is sounding familiar. She was kidnapped as a young girl and held captive for, of course, for 18 in, in, years. In Utah. In Northern California. Northern California, yeah. yeah. yeah I know the story. And so one of the fascinating things about the story is that, um, you know, within a relatively short period of time, maybe two years in, I, I don't remember exactly, but they would take her to public places. She wouldn't, you know, ask for help. Um, she would see on the news about her, people looking for her. She Mostly. had internet access. She had telephone access, but she wasn't like um, taking active steps to leave the situation, even though she was like held as a slave there for 18 years. Mm. And that happened because um, Philip Garrido, her captor, um, who I think is kind of for our purposes, like a, a Satan a type figure. Of, yeah, Satan figure, brainwashed her into thinking that the world was really scary. There was all kinds of danger out there and he was there to protect her. And, you know, so she had confused thoughts about her parents, about mm. um, the life God really had for her and um, so much so that she, you know, was content to remain. And and so that's the power of deception mm. and lies in a, you know, such a sad way. I think that story really reveals mm. the great controversy because um, there's like so much freedom and liberty and love that God has for us, that God wants for us to experience. And so he wants to get us out of, you know, bad situations and out of agreements that we've made with the enemy yeah. and out yeah, of yeah, addiction yeah. or whatever. Um, but the devil is working really hard to, you know, to make that life seem restrictive or to make God seem, you know, all those stern words and severe. Yeah. yeah. And the point you make there is such an important one. These deceptions by, what was his name, Philip? Philip Garrido, yeah. These deceptions by Philip Garrido, as a stand-in here for our purposes for Satan, were not mild deceptions that, you know, didn't affect the overall happiness and fulfillment and trajectory of your life. 
it was a complete inversion of reality, mm-hmm. right? That that your parents don't love you and the world is this. Well, actually, no, he's the danger. Your parents love you. They're crying themselves to sleep every night thinking about you. After 18 years, they still haven't forgotten about you. And, and that's what Satan is doing here. It's not just a little deception here. He's not just cutting corners with the character of God, suggesting things that are, you know, slightly out of alignment. This is a total inversion mm-hmm. of who God is. And thus, because God is ultimate reality, this is an inversion of reality. And you have this kind of Stockholm syndrome yeah. whereby people are comforted in the deception. And we, I mean, people don't primarily think I like Satan. Right. But it's like um, God is boring or this lifestyle is restrictive or I'd rather have this. Um yeah, people do not have to be pro-Satan in any sort of overt sense. If they think of God as severe, stern, and exacting, they have bought into the satanic delusion. Yeah, and I think it's worth mentioning too, like, um, why does God want us to think he's love? Why does God want us to think he's good? It's not because he needs us to stroke his ego. Mm. And and this uh, paragraph also reminded me of one of my very favorite Ellen White quotes. It's from Review and Herald in January 14, 1890. And it answers this question, like, what will happen to us if we um, have a bad view of God? She says, the whole spiritual life is molded by our conceptions of God. Yes. And if we cherish erroneous views of his character, our souls will sustain injury. Mm. We should see in, trauma we would say today. Yeah. We should see in God one who yearns toward the children of men longing to do them good. So the reason why wow. God cares about our perception of him is because he doesn't want us to be injured. And traumatized. Okay, I'm going to tie in with something you said earlier, Elise. You were talking about how when we go out into nature or we have our quiet time with God and we're we're eating up that orange or we're looking at that beautiful scene in nature, we need to train our minds to immediately think God is good, God is good, God is good. Mm-hmm. Well, similarly here, when we find ourselves in difficult times or some adversity or some trial, We need to not entertain the idea, oh, God is punishing me, God is angry with me, God is severe and stern and exacting, because that actually injures our soul. Mm -hmm. It traumatizes us. And let's be honest, there is a world full of people who are traumatized by versions and variations and caricatures of Mm -hmm. who God is Mm -hmm. not, of who God is not. And this is why, then she says, Jesus came, and her language is great here, to remove this dark shadow. Mm -hmm. Great language to reveal. And then she's, this is now the second time already that she's reached into her bag and pulled out this phrase, the infinite love. Because she's already said on the previous page, he declared his infinite love and pity. Here she says, the infinite love of God. And this is why Jesus came to live among men. Mm -hmm. So, So here, and she's such a great writer And she gets right to the heart of the issues because we're only four or five paragraphs in and we are already dealing with the big issues of God, his character, his law, deception, Mm -hmm. revelation, theodicy. You can see why this is a book that has, you know, even though it was published in 1892, has been read by, you know, many, manifold millions of people Mm -hmm. because it's such a great book. Okay, carrying on. Okay, then what ends up happening is she gets right into the nature of, you know, Jesus has come. He's come to, you know, lift this shadow, remove this dark shadow. 
And he comes to, and then we get all this language again of to manifest, to declare, to reveal, to show. And she quotes from many of the best-known passages to this effect, John chapter 1, John chapter 14, Matthew chapter 11, mm -hmm. verse 27. These are all passages, and you know she sort of marshals them here to show that Jesus' mission was to disclose who God was, and in the context of the great controversy, who he was not. Mm -hmm. Right? You got anything there? You want to sort of add to that? Yeah, I was just thinking of, we have this expression, like father, like son, and yeah. that's like never been more true than God and Jesus. Well and said. so um, even though, even though God's love had been manifested through nature, through, you know, the Old Testament scriptures, mm. like God had done so much to show his love, there was still such a dark shadow. And so Jesus is like the ultimate representation. And the point she makes is that the reason he's the ultimate representation is that he is God, mm -hmm. right? Like this is the point that Jesus makes is that he was in the bosom of the Father. One translation, I've actually been writing on this recently in the book that I'm writing with Jen on that phrase, in the bosom of the Father. Mm -hmm. One translation renders this, in the warm embrace of the Father, mm. right? That there is a connection between the two. So Jesus is uniquely qualified to come and disclose who God is. And that's why, you know, you have that great conversation there um, with Philip, you know, show us the Father. And he's like, have I been so long time with you? This is John 14, that you haven't seen the Father. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father, like Father, like Son. Mm -hmm. um, so then you get into, uh, she quotes here from Luke 14, uh, Luke 4, verse 18. This is the great line there when Jesus goes into the synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth, and he mm -hmm. quotes from Isaiah 49 and 61. And, you know, this is some of the great passages in Scripture. He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And then she just says plainly, you know, four syllables, this was his work. Mm -hmm. And she spends a lot of time sort of talking about, you know, the next couple of paragraphs, how he went town to town, village to village, and healed people and ministered to people, and little children loved to sit on his lap. And she's making the point here, this is who God is. Mm -hmm. What you got? I love that. I, I like that Jesus had a clearly expressed mission statement for himself. And, you know, sometimes you like good businesses, good organizations, yeah. they know we need to have a mission statement because it will help keep us focused. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but like individuals can have a mission statement, too. Oh, I like that. And so I, I think, yeah, we'll be following Jesus's example if we set like an individual mission statement for our own lives. Do you have a mission statement? I kind of do. It probably needs some work. Is I it? wasn't planning on sharing. <laughs> Is it too much to put you on the spot? Um, it's to help people flourish and help the best ideas win. That doesn't need any work. That's amazing. But I'm okay. But it's all in the context of God's love, you know. Which to help it. people flourish and to help to help the best ideas win? Yeah, to help people flourish and help the best ideas win. I think that's an amazing mission statement. Because it's like, um, I think, well, and I think you see this in Jesus's life, and he obviously did a much better job at it than me. Right. Um, but like the the personal aspect of his ministry, you're helping yeah. people, um, but also he was helping ideas, right? Because as mm. we share ideas and truth, um, and as the best ideas win about God, about that who he helps is, people. that helps people flourish too. Hmm, Do you have I, a mission statement? Well, not not anything that's articulated quite as nicely as yours is, but I believe that God has put me on earth 
to teach and preach the goodness of God mm-hmm. in the context of Scripture, and then to help people to tell others about the goodness of God. So yeah. I probably should do that. In fact, now, tomorrow I feel, night David will be sharing his mission statement. I'm gonna I'm gonna spend some time tomorrow reflecting on a mission statement, and maybe I'll come up with one. Yep. Because I have it in my mind, it's yeah. sort of there, but it's a really great point. I should write it down. Yeah, and I, I would love to see, uh, let's see, how could we do this? Well, we'll just... Tomorrow night, we'll ask people if they work Well, you can just put it on the comments yeah. uh, on this video or on tomorrow's video. If you've spent some time or if you already have a mission statement or in the YouTube comments, let us know. Yep. Like, for example, the ministry that uh, I work with, Light Bears, we have a mission statement. It's very simple, very succinct. It's to vindicate the character of God. Hmm. That's it. Over and against these, as we've talked about, caricatures of who God is. Mm -hmm. So I like this idea of having a personal mission statement. Okay, can I share with you something extremely cool? Yep. I'm on page 22. This is page sort of 13 in the original pagination. Begins with, Jesus did not suppress one word of truth. Mm -hmm. This is where she's continuing to talk about how Jesus conducted himself and going town to town, village to village, healing, etc. She does a very clever thing here that I like a lot. David's page has hearts written all over it. It looks like Valentine's Yeah, yeah, I have hearts all over. I don't know if you can see that. Mm -hmm. See all those hearts? Okay, and maybe you can see it there. What I did is I wrote, I I made a little heart every time she talks about God's love. Because the the chapter is titled, you know, God's love for humankind. So she just comes back to that theme over and over and over again. So for me, as just a sort of visual indicator, like, for example, on this page, I see one, two, three, four, five, six hearts. Mm-hmm. Now watch this. She does a very cool thing, very creative. And uh, she's describing the way that Jesus behaved. So this is the paragraph that begins, Jesus did not suppress one word of truth, but he uttered it always in love. He exercised the greatest tact and thoughtful, kind attention in his relationships with the people. Now watch this. Mm. He was never rude. He never needlessly spoke a severe word. Mm-hmm. By the way, severe. That's the word just a moment ago. He's made out to be severe. Here, she says, he's not severe. Never, ever. Never, ever severe. Never needlessly spoke a severe word. Well, never needlessly severe. Never needlessly spoke a severe word. So maybe he sometimes needed to? Well, remember the language that she uses with severe was a severe judge. Yeah. Right? And we can spend time on that as well. But listen, never gave needless pain to a sensitive soul. He did not censure censure human Mm -hmm. weakness. Okay, This, to me, has a very 1 Corinthians 13 vibe, the love chapter, where Paul is describing to the church in Corinth what love is, but he actually spends more time describing what love isn't, Mm -hmm. right? Love is not boastful. Love is not proud. Love does not vaunt itself. Love is not... And I thought this was so similar to that, where she spends time talking about the things that Jesus did not do. And it had that Mm -hmm. sort of 1 Corinthians 13 vibe to me. Do you like that? I like it. I think it's very cool. You got anything else in that paragraph? Um, I just love this this part that he never gave needless pain to a sensitive soul. Mm. Um, I'm a sensitive soul. You yeah. know this about me. Like yeah. there's some people that are a bit more sensitive. Mm. And there's there's research, it's really interesting, like neurologic research that some people are just wired to like to feel things a bit extra deeply or their nervous system is like a little more tightly wound. Yeah. And and it can be difficult. Mm. Um, I mean, everyone has feelings. So it's not like sensitive people shouldn't think, oh, other people don't have feelings or right, mine gotcha. are more important, gotcha. whatever. But some people like it have 
a higher level of emotional sensitivity. And I loved how it showed that Jesus, um, like, cared about that vulnerability mm. and, like, dealt tenderly with people. And then also he did not censure human weakness because so often when we see our weakness or our sin, we feel censured. But he approaches us even in our sinfulness with so much um, tenderness and so much grace. Care. That reminds me, one of the prophecies about Jesus that's lifted out of the Old Testament by New Testament writers, the gospel writers, is this idea that Jesus would not quench a smoking flax mm -hmm. or break a bruised reed, mm -hmm. which is a really beautiful and poetic way of saying that he's not there to snuff out the flickering little bit that's still hanging on and hoping for something good. Because people are hurt, mm -hmm. people are traumatized, and Jesus was not the kind of person to, with no sensitivity and no care, to just snuff out an otherwise yeah. sensitive or weak person. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful picture. And then in that paragraph, she goes on to use this language of every soul was precious in his eyes. While he ever bore himself with divine dignity, he bowed with the tenderest regard to every member mm -hmm. of the family of God. In all men and women, he saw fallen souls whom it was his mission to save. I mean, the language here, every yeah. soul. Every member, all mankind. Yeah. This it's, is universal and it's inclusive. And it's so easy, um, even if we try not to, to just have favorites and to yeah. to think that some people are more valuable than others by nature of how they treat us or... What they bring to us. Yeah. Um, or their social status or their appearance or whatever. And I love that he, like, he notices everyone. He values everyone. He even loves the chihuahuas. Yes, you made that point earlier. If you want to be more like Jesus, you really need to work <laughs> on this, David. Work on my love for very small dogs, very small, annoying dogs. I got bit by a chihuahua. We used to have a chihuahua, and it bit me. And uh, maybe I'm just, maybe it's trauma that's coming okay. out. But I, I do want to say something about that. One of the things that is clearly described in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is that Jesus is purposefully orienting himself two people that were on the fringes of first century Jewish society. Mm -hmm. Whether it's a Samaritan woman or a tax collector or a woman with an issue of blood or a Roman centurion, we see Jesus being intentionally, purposefully mindful mm -hmm. of people that were those smoking flaxes and, you know, uh, bruised reeds. Yeah. And I love that about Jesus. He's not just looking out for the most important people in the room. He's attentive to everybody. Yes, he does also pay attention to the most important people mm -hmm. in the room, but not exclusively to them. He was indiscriminate, like the sunshine and the rain, with his love and with his healing, with his kindness. Love it. You like it? Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, you got anything on the next page, page 23? Well, just bottom of this page, and then she brings that thought into the next page. I love that one of the names for Jesus is a man of sorrows. Yeah. Um, And if we ever, you know, wonder if someone understands us, because I think... You know, every human being is so different. Our experiences, our thoughts, our brains, that it can be easy when you go through difficulties, adversity, to just feel, uh, to think like, no one understands. No one understands exactly what it's like to be me, to be you. Mm. Even though friends can try to empathize and help, whatever, no one really gets it. Like, right. And yet Jesus completely gets it. And he also gets the hard parts, like... And 
I think we've talked about this before, but um, this idea that Jesus has experienced basically every type of suffering that human beings have, physical suffering, mm-hmm. emotional suffering, betrayal, all of this. And so I love this name because it really highlights that like when we feel sorrow, we can know that um, Jesus has like fully identified with our sorrow. And that that's she's lifting that language there right out of Isaiah 53, right? Mm-hmm. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Yeah, beautiful. Very good. Um, so then uh, jumping over to the next page, page 23, she does this really cool thing where she's inviting us. She's quoting from Isaiah 53 there. Uh, the chastisement of our peace was upon him by his stripes. We are healed. And I've always loved this. She says, behold him, look at him. Like we were talking about with the flowers mm-hmm. and the trees and nature earlier. Now she, now the command, and she invites us to behold Jesus, to observe Jesus, to view Jesus in scripture in three specific locations. Behold him in the wilderness, that's the wilderness of temptation, in Gethsemane, and on the cross. Mm. And it's fascinating to me that when we're invited here to consider Jesus in the context of the revelation of who God is and who he isn't, she specifically hones in, focuses in on these three places. Look at him in the temptation of wilderness. Look at him in Gethsemane. Look at him at the cross. Why? Because he was representing God lesser than that in other locations or other situations in his life? No, but because in those situations, God's selfless love, his willingness to to do whatever need be done for the benefit of others is on the most Mm -hmm. poignant display. And I've always resonated. This has been one of those little gems that I found early on in my Christian experience. The very first time or maybe the second time I read through Steps to Christ, that jumped out at me. Yeah, and I've never really noticed that. And it's amazing. It makes sense. And, and it's an invitation for us to spend that time, you know, in the cross scenes, in the Gethsemane scenes, mm-hmm. in the wilderness scenes, because this is where we get to the heart of who God is. Mm-hmm. Self-sacrificial, serving others, willing to give up his own life, his own health, his own best interest, seemingly his own best interest for others. And I just would urge the listeners take underline that paragraph mm-hmm. or that phrase there that sentence remember that and and when you find yourself discouraged or or upset or confused or in a trial look for Jesus in one of those three or all of those three mm-hmm. locations go to him in the wilderness where he overcame the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes and the pride of life go to him suffering in gethsemane being pulled apart from his father being separated from his father Go to him on the cross, crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And remind yourself in every instance, this is God, and he's doing all of this for for me and for people just like Mm me. And -hmm. it will be so healing to Mm -hmm. you. Mm. Go ahead. Have you heard the Andrew Peterson song with Jesus's last words? I've heard all of his songs, so yes. It's just such a powerful song to like behold Jesus on the cross. It, it takes all of Jesus' last words, like his f- different phrases he mm, said mm-hmm, on the cross, mm-hmm. and puts them together all at once. Yes. Um, it gets wrong the part about, I tell you the truth today, you'll be with me yeah. in paradise. Yeah, yeah, just yeah, ignore yeah. that part. And I don't know, that's one of those, all of us have kind of um, those special tokens or special songs like you can turn yeah. back to when you really want to. Those um, Ebenezers. Yeah, and for me, that's one of them. Like if I close my eyes and listen to that song, it's like, it makes it very vivid. Takes you there. Yeah. Beautiful. 
If you jump down to the bottom of page 23, page 13 of the original, here we get it again. She reaches back into her bag and pulls this out. Christ was the medium through which he could pour out his infinite love mm. upon a fallen world. That's the third time now that we've come across that phrase, infinite love. Infinite love, infinite love. And she'll use it yet again. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to turn the page. Okay. Look at what happens in the very next, uh, I'm just going to continue reading. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, quoting from one of my very favorite sections in all of the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. God suffered with his son in the agony of Gethsemane, the death of Calvary. Here we are. The heart of infinite love paid the price for our redemption. Mm -hmm. So, so this language of infinite love, infinite love, infinite love, she keeps going back into her bag for that. And the reason is she wants us to understand this is not a qualified love. Mm -hmm. It's not a partial love. It's not a conditional love. It is an infinite love that embraces all of humanity, even those, and this is the most astonishing thing of all, even those that will ultimately and persistently and rebelliously Reject that love. Mm -hmm. He loves them no less. It's amazing. That's infinite love. It's really easy to stop loving someone as human beings. You're not wrong. Yeah. But it's also really easy under the power of God to learn to love people. Yes, thank you for the optimism there, <laughs> David. Doom and gloom over here. <laughs> um, and then, if you don't mind, just jump down... Um, uh, two paragraphs there. A paragraph begins, none but the Son of God could accomplish our redemption. Mm -hmm. For only he who was in the bosom of the Father, the warm embrace mm -hmm. of the Father, could declare him. There's our word, declare, reveal, disclose. Only he who knew the height and depth of the love of God, quoting from Ephesians 3 there, could make it manifest. Nothing less than the now infinite sacrifice mm -hmm. made by Christ on behalf of fallen man could express the Father's love to lost humanity. And to be clear here, Infinite sacrifice is just another way of saying what? Infinite love. Yeah. Right? The, the, this kind of love, this quality of love is, is self-sacrificial. Mm -hmm. And this chapter, I mean, we are just so in the thick of it here. We're, we're dealing with issues of incarnation. We're dealing with issues of theodicy. We're dealing with issues of soteriology or the nature of the sacrifice. We're dealing with the, nat the nature of creation. Mm -hmm. I mean, we are in the very heart theological heart mm -hmm. of scripture in this chapter. Yeah, that's one of the things I noticed about the last three pages mm. was um, such it was such a, con a concise soteriology like, um, you know, you can take a class at the seminary called the Doctrine of Salvation and spend, you know, months going through why did Jesus have to die? Right. It, right? And here she has it like in a few paragraphs, you know, Jesus died as our substitute so that God could be just and yet the justifier of him who yeah. believes in Jesus. So you have the substitutionary atonement. Um, Jesus died as an expression of God's love. Yes. It was uh, the ultimate expression of who God was. Yes. Jesus died as a, a moral example yep. um, to, to uplift us from sin as we saw, you know, as we saw his love and then tried to emulate his mm -hmm. love. And so you have like all of this. It's so funny. Um, because like having the last couple of years been studying more theology, it just like gets so detailed and sometimes so technical and takes so long to say so, something. And then you have like it's so two refreshing. Pages two pages and and, and like, exactly. Yeah. I mean, and what I love about this is that we are not waiting, you know, we got 13 chapters to get through in Steps to Christ, and we're not waiting nicely and neatly in. We're jump, we're right in the deep end mm -hmm. of the pool. And just to highlight your point. 
about this sort of uh, all of these elements, these these the multidimensionality to mm -hmm. the soteriological enterprise. She says, top of page twenty-five, he is our sacrifice, our advocate, our brother. Mm. Right? She's just like she's just listing because he is all of those things, and whole books and papers and tomes and volumes could be written on each of them, right? As our sacrifice. As our advocate, as our brother, all of these things, and she's just really coming to a grand and glorious, you know, crescendo here. And we're going to see in you know tomorrow's chapter, we're going to we're going to drop precipitously off, right? Because we're going to get into the weeds tomorrow, which I think is the sinner's need of Christ, right? Mm -hmm. where, where this is kind of the big view, the cosmic view, the table setting view in chapter one, and then we get right down into the nitty gritty of those steps to Christ, mm -hmm. or as I said yesterday, steps with Christ, and even steps in Christ, mm. which I really That's like. That's good, yeah. Um, very next paragraph, the price paid for our redemption, the infinite sacrifice of our Heavenly Father in giving His Son to die for us, should give us exalted conceptions of what we may become through Christ. I mean, this is such inspiring language here, mm -hmm. and here's our language again of infinite sacrifice. She's right back into her bag here, and then I love this, jumping down to about two-thirds of the way down, page 25, page 15 in the original pagination, right after quoting 1 John 3, 1. What a value mm -hmm. this places on humankind. Exactly. We are infinitely valuable because God decided that we were infinitely valuable. The value of an object is determined by the one that is willing to pay the price. And if we are going to gauge our own value, if we're going to gauge the value of others, Elisa's value, my value, we're going to have to gauge it based on the price that someone was willing to pay. Well, that price is an infinite price, uh, infinite yeah, price, this is like infinite that, love, that infinite old love. sermon, what was it called? Oh, yeah. Love what wondrous love is this? Mm, everyone listened to that sermon. That's a great sermon. Yeah. I probably get more feedback on, that would be one of the top five sermons that I get the most feedback on. So if you haven't listened to that sermon, go back and listen to an old sermon that I preached yeah, called, What Wondrous Love Is This? My age. <laughs> which is a really it hasn't been that long <laughs> Sorry, which is a really sweet way of that. saying David's old and I'm no. young but anyway I received that um, but I love it. what a value this places on mankind mm -hmm. at least I just want you to know that you are infinitely valuable mm. you are infinite I think you're awesome I love you you're one of my favorite people in the world and if me, a sinner, this is what Jesus says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your yeah. children, if I can think this highly of you with my limited capacity, what must God think of Elise? Yeah. And I love how that, that love and that value, it's not just an idea. It's something that can help us in our practical lives. Like, um, you know, we develop... Um, brokenness when we in different areas different domains when we don't recognize our value or other people's value and as we do internalize that value it can help free us from you know workaholism or the pressure mm. to perform or to be the best or to look a certain way um it can bring a lot of relief yes i'm sorry i just got distracted there because candace said she was there for that sermon so that was a sermon, I think the one she's referencing is I preached it at Oakwood University many okay. years ago. And she's saying, I was there. Nice. All right, amen. I was there too, Candace. <laughs> I'm sure we, uh, anyway, I hope our paths crossed back then and I know they'll cross in the future. Okay, uh, getting down to the end of this chapter and then we'll get to our journal here. By assuming human nature, Christ elevates humanity. This is amazing what Ellen White's done here. She has, if you're paying attention, brought the 
the chapter full circle. Mm -hmm. Because where did we start? We started in Eden, right? We started back where, where God created mankind perfectly holy and happy. And where are we at now? With the elevation, the restoration of human beings back to God's original creational Edenic intent and ideal. Mm -hmm. Woo! And then, can I put you right on the spot and have you read the last paragraph and then we'll get into the journal. The whole... Read it okay. all. Such love is without a parallel. Children of the heavenly king, precious promise, theme for the most profound meditation, the matchless love of God for a world that did not love him. Mm. The thought has a subduing power upon the soul and brings the mind into captivity to the will of God. The more we study the divine character in the light of the cross, the more we see mercy, tenderness, and forgiveness blended with equity and justice. And the more clearly we discern innumerable evidences of a love that is infinite, infinite. and a tender pity surpassing a mother's yearning sympathy for her wayward child. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. I love the line there, this thought of the matchless love of God, this thought that we are children of the heavenly king, that, that the promises are true. She says this thought has a subduing power mm -hmm. upon the soul and brings the mind into captivity to the will of God. She's quoting here, this is the language of 2 Corinthians 10, 5, bringing every thought into the captivity of the obedience mm -hmm. of Christ. And, you know, from a clinical or, or biblical counseling perspective, this idea of our a subduing power upon the soul, I hear her as saying, this calms anxiety. Yeah, yeah. Is that what you're hearing? Like, this, this erases fear. Perfect love casts out fear. Think about these things and let anxiety and fear and uncertainty and confusion about you, about your value, about your mm -hmm. standing, about your salvation, let them wash away and just behold the love of God that we should be mm. called the sons and daughters of the Most High. Love it. I, I also loved how she ended the chapter with the thought of a mother's love for a child. Yeah. I was, I was reading recently about, um, like, of every human relationship, you know, sibling, uh, husband, wife, friend, all of these relationships reveal God's love. Like yeah. it said earlier in this chapter, through the deepest and tenderest ties that human hearts can know, God is revealing his love. But of all those relationships, the one between mother and child is the most sacrificial, typically. Mm, like, there's exceptions, right? But because, like, a mother gives everything, the child doesn't even know what's going on. The child really has no idea what the mother gives, maybe until they become a parent. Correct. Um, so I love that she kind of appealed to that. That deepest of yeah. love. Well, a point that I've made before, and I won't go too deep on this, except to say briefly that in the creation narrative in Genesis 1 and 2, things are moving from, you know, chaos to completion. Mm -hmm. Things are, are getting more and more orderly and more and more reflecting God and his love and his will. And if you sort of follow that through, if things are getting progressively better, progressively more complete, progressively more godly, ask yourself this question, what's the last thing that God makes? The last material mm. thing that God makes? It's a woman, mm -hmm. right? We sometimes you know, you'll sometimes hear really bad theology that'll say, oh, no, no, Eve is the subordinate of Adam because she came out of him. Actually, in the flow of Genesis, Eve is the consummation of the creation enterprise. And it makes so much sense because a woman in her body 
is a life bringer and a life giver, which is exactly what God is doing in creation. He is bringing and giving mm. life. And so as creation moves from chaos to completion, the last thing, the most godly thing, the most the thing that most profoundly illumines God is a mother's love. Mm. And it's fascinating that she ends the paragraph right there, or ends the chapter right there. Mm-hmm. Hallelujah. Okay, let's get into our journal. This has been a great conversation. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, you ready? I'm ready. Okay, so what we do in our journal, for those of you that are new, we just go down briefly. The point, the person, the prayer, the practice, and the promise. We then um, reveal our word, whatever our word was that we thought really captured the essence of the chapter. And so, Elise, I'll start with you. For you, what was the point of this chapter? God wants us to feel loved, so he's trying to get our attention. Oh, very nice. Well put. Um, mine is a little di- mine's going to take a little bit of explanation, but I'll just read it and then I'll circle back around and go a little deeper on it. Mine just says to describe the profoundly Oh yeah, yeah, I'll do that. Thank you. <laughs> Bernice was just reminding me to say something. I will do that, Bernice. Thank you. To describe the profoundly important and beautiful nature of eternal and eternally significant things. Mm. With with the operative operative word there being nature. And I'm mm-hmm. going to come back to it. To describe the nature of eternal and eternally significant things. Okay? And I'll come back. Um, what, what do we learn about the person of God? I mean, we learned so much. But what did you write down? I wrote, God is a creative and comprehensive lover. Because um, he, like, the fact that his love is everywhere in so many different things. I love it. that it's comprehensive. Creative and, com- that is so well said. God is a creative and comprehensive lover. I love that. That deserves a high five. Um, I just went for the low-hanging fruit here. I just put that God is love. Mm. Clearly, that's the purpose of the chapter. With is three big hearts. With three big hearts, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. To disclose that God is love, and she unpacks that against the backdrop of creation, theodicy, incarnation. Should we read some of theirs? Yeah, no, we'll do that on the word. We'll do that on the word. Okay. Um, So I put God as love, and I really like yours, that God is a creative and comprehensive lover. How about your prayer? What's the prayer here? My prayer was, God, help me to experience your love in all the ways you've provided. Mm. Um, Because that's one of the things that jumped out to me listening... Um, reading the chapter was like, how often I miss it, you know? Yeah. Like, it's there. God can't love any more than he's loved. Um, but you still can miss it. You're not attentive. You're not looking. You're not thinking. It. You're not listening. Yeah. Yeah, so help me to be attentive. Help me to look and listen. Mm-hmm. You know what I put down for my prayer? I just wrote down Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. Let me read it. Because she uses this language here in Ephesians 3. Beginning in verse 14, for this reason, Paul says, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray out of his glorious riches that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know that this love surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him 
be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, mm. forever and ever. Amen. I mean, what Paul is saying here is, I'm praying for you, the church in Ephesus, that you will, to whatever degree we can, understand the breadth, height, depth, and length of God's love. Mm -hmm. And that's what Ellen White's clearly trying to do in this chapter, to help us to see the multidimensionality of God's love against the backdrop of creation, theodicy, soteriology, incarnation. Mm -hmm. God, help us, help us to see you behind all of those budding flowers and blades of grass and beautiful sunsets and, you know, fantastic songs. Mm -hmm. May we see you. Okay, how do we practice this chapter? Yeah, so um, I kind of wanted to modify a, like a psychology tool and that's, we talked a little bit about mindfulness. Well, some therapists will say, if you, if you need to kind of calm yourself or uh, ground yourself, you do this five, four, three, two, one thing, and that's name five things you can see, four things you can touch. Um, so you'd be like, um, you know, just a way to calm calm yourself yeah, down. Definitely. Three things you can hear, two things you can smell, one thing you can taste. And so, like, people do this, especially if, you know, you're experiencing a lot of anxiety. So I like kind of a modified version of that is just, you know, you don't have to do five, four, three, two, one, but like use your hand. Like think about each sense every day. I just mm. thought that'd be a really practical way. Oh, that's way. great. Yeah, excellent. Right? Like um, mealtime would be a great way to do this because you're getting several senses at once yep. or when you're outside yep. and like let your fingers be the reminder of what it is that you're trying to do. Love it. So it was, I want to engage all five of my senses each day to notice your love. I really like that. And you pointed that out early on when you were sort of talking about the mm -hmm. Gary Chapman love languages thing. Because there's five love languages, right? Yeah, and there's five senses. Five senses, five fingers. I like this. This is a theme with you. Is your word five? No. No, okay. Uh, mine says, kind of like yours a little bit, I put to learn to read scripture, nature, and even trials and difficulties through the lens mm. of God's perfectly loving heart and infinite sacrifice for us. So it's the same kind of thing without the emphasis on the five. To learn to see God and the world around me through the lens yep. of God's infinite love for us. Bravo. You. Okay, and then finally, Elise, what's God's promise to you? Yeah, so the... The verse that came to mind for this was in Acts 17, verses 26 and 27, where it's talking about how God uh, kind of moves in our life so that we would reach out and grope after him. As the oh, like, so I that love they, that. So that they might grope after him and find him. It's saying he establishes like the boundaries of he he sets up things in motion in our lives so that we would reach out and grope and find him. But then it says, though he is not far from each one of us. Beautiful. And I think that was really highlighted in this chapter. Like his love is everywhere. It's mm. not far from each one of us. And so that was the promise. Beautiful. Acts 17. Yep. Yeah, that's when Paul's uh, preaching there in Athens mm -hmm. to, the, to the Athenian elders and philosophers. I, I That's one of my favorite, favorite uh, speeches there or sermons that Paul gives because he's he's so affirming he's saying look he's so close god is so proximate to us mm -hmm. that we can just reach out and grope for him and this is the language that ellen white uses in this chapter there are innumerable tokens you know that we're yeah. surrounded by evidences 
Great point. She says, I don't know if it's in Desire of Ages, we're, a sur- we're surrounded by an atmosphere, atmosphere of, of grace. grace. Yeah, Desire yeah. of Ages. Um, and then I've got here, I just put the promise that we are infinitely valuable to God. Clearly, Ellen White mm. went into the bag on the word infinite. I actually wrote the statistics down here um, on her use of that word in this chapter. So she uses the word infinite seven times. She uses the phrase infinite love or, or a love that was infinite five times, infinite sacrifice two times. So clearly she's driving at the idea that if an infinite price was paid for us and God loves us infinitely, then we are infinitely valuable. Mm. Now that's impossible for us to get our minds around, you know, chiefly because we can't even comprehend what infinite means. Mm-hmm. But we can say God loves us a very, 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 very great deal. Mm-hmm. And that's only beginning to scratch the surface of how much he loves us. It seems like infinite would be the most appropriate adjective to put with God's love. Exactly. Because it encompasses all of the And others. she loves that word. She uses it in, yeah. in The Desire of Ages. She loves that phrase, infinite love and infinite sa- also infinite sacrifice. Okay. It's like from Toy Story. To infinity and, and beyond. beyond. <laughs> What's that guy's name? Buzz Lightyear. Buzz Lightyear. Um, okay, so now what I would love to see is um, what were your word, your words, and if you could just shout them out there as okay. you see them. Infinite. Infinite. There's another one. Infinite. Infinite. Infinite love. Are, are they? Oh, some of them are just commenting. Tender, tenderness, beautiful. I love mm. that word too. Limitless. Yeah. Allison says limitless. Value. Love, mm. says Hannah. Reflect, oh, says Jen's Jen. Word is reflect. That's good. Sylvia. Hi, Sylvia. Hi. She says tender. tender. Sylvia has a great dog. You would like. You, you've oh, I've met that dog. Yeah. That's a golden retriever. That's a real dog. Infinite, character, reveal, Manifest. Very good, Allison. I thought somebody would have manifest or reveal. Agape. Connection. Hesed. Jennifer. Oh, chesed. Boundless. Hi, Jen. Hi, Jen. We love you. Wish you were here. Testament. Reconcile. I haven't seen my word Linked. yet. Have you seen yours? Uh, no. Linked. Love and tenderest. Revelation. Revelation says Stephen. Stephen. Gave. Uncovered. Love. Loved. Your turn. Uh, merciful. Perception. Nature. Sandy. Sandy, you regularly guess my words. That's my word. My word is nature. I'll explain more in just Behold, a little bit. Behold, character, testify, beyond measure. Can we use two words? Yes. Good. No, you can't. But, but she she can. But she we're treating people he, with grace here. I don't know here. if that's a she or he. Amazing love, value, inexplicable. Oh, inexplicable. That's hot. I like that. Stephen says revelation. Stephen, keep saying Revelation. Stephen, why do you keep saying it over and over again? We got it. Revelation. Character, sacrifice, matchless, intention. Oh, oh. another nature. Ollie squad. Ollie squad. Ollie squad. Okay, so your word was... Notice. Notice. And I didn't see that on there. The look, the listen, the five things. Yeah. Oh, somebody else says Notice. nature. Okay, I'm going to explain nature in just a little bit, but you go first. Notice. Yeah, I just, um, we're supposed to notice the with our senses, mm. we're supposed to notice nature, we're supposed to notice in our, when we experience love from others, we're supposed to notice Jesus. Yes. Jesus on the cross, Jesus in the wilderness, and the love is there, that's not the question, 
but it's up to like we play a role in noticing it. We play a role in what kind of God we will believe in mm. by how we exercise our minds. And I think it's kind of like it's this is one of our areas of life that we shouldn't go into autopilot on. Like oh. there's certain things we're just used to doing. You brush your teeth every day or else your mouth will be gross. Like, mm. you know, you have to shave your face every I don't. You have to <laughs> shave your face like um, it's just like maintenance and we should be expecting like there's a war going on. We're in a war and like there are forces trying to get us to not notice God's love and to mm. notice other things that we shouldn't notice, like to notice um, even, you know, subconsciously to believe things about God or about reality that aren't good. Mm. Um, so we need to be intentional about noticing. So that's what I picked. Notice. That's a great word. Okay, I chose the word nature because as I was reading through it, first of all, she uses the word nature, I think, seven times. And I'm really happy that some others noted this as well, six times. But but check this out, Elise, and tell me if you love this. What I did here on page two, and why don't you just look on with me here. What she does in this chapter is she really goes through and describes the nature, because she leads, obviously, with nature. Nature and the very first word is nature and revelation alike testify of God's love. But then what she does is she goes through this chapter and describes the nature of the most profound things that humans can mm, conceive of. Mm -hmm. So let me just go to, I identified 10. Maybe there are even more, but just let me. You're such an overachiever. <laughs> Pages okay. of notes. Pages of notes. Here we go. So first of all, the first one was nature, which is the created natural world. She mm -hmm. describes that. She then talks about how mankind was created. This is number two, perfectly holy and happy. That was our nature. Right, that human human beings pre-fall nature was of such to be holy and happy and in mm -hmm. harmony with God. Number three, then she goes right to the nature of God's law. Remember, she has that little phrase where she said, God's law, the law of love, mm -hmm. which is an insight into the fact that God's law is not arbitrary and is an expression of the plurality within his nature, which she describes. Mm -hmm. um, then number four, the nature of God and his glory. Remember that section there when Moses is atop the mountain, show me your glory. And then he lets his goodness pass before him. This is the nature of God. It's who he is. And then a, a sort of a sub off of that, she talks about the nature of trials and difficulties. You, you, do you remember that section? Yeah, yeah, we, we skipped over it. We skipped but... over it, but she does say, let me just read it briefly. She says, um, the difficulties and trials that make, this is on page 19 of the Types and Symbols, 10 of the original, it's like the third paragraph. The... Thorn and the thistle, the difficulties and trials that make this life one of toil and care were appointed for mankind's good as a part of the training needful in God's plan for his uplifting from the ruin and degradation that sin had brought. So she's giving us here an insight that, that bad things that happen, the vicissitudes of life, the trials of life, are not an indication of God's departure from us, or worse yet, his severe character toward us, mm -hmm. but of the reality that we live in a fallen and broken world. And so she describes here the nature of God's goodness and then as a subset of that, the nature of trials, how we should think about trials mm -hmm. and how not to think about them. Uh, then number five, the nature of Satan's rebellion, right? Remember, we spent all of those words that he pictures and he, he uh, what was the specific language that she used there? Causes man to conceive of mm -hmm. God in a certain way. What were those specific Stern, words? severe. You've got it. Conceive, looked, mm -hmm. blinded pictured so that we would think as stern, severe, and exacting. So the nature of Satan's rebellion and purpose. Number six, 
the nature of Jesus' relationship to the Father, right? Mm -hmm. That he was in the bosom of the Father, you know, show us the Father. Have I been so long with you, Philip? You're asking me, he that has seen me has seen the Father. Number seven, the nature of Jesus' incarnation, his mission and his methodology, that's Luke 4, to preach. Remember, that's where you talked to us us about your mission statement, right? That that Jesus had a mission statement described Mm -hmm. there in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, quoting from Isaiah. And then also humankind's fallen nature, which we're going to get into more in tomorrow's chapter. But she says that when Jesus came, he took on our nature, mm-hmm. right? Our fallen nature, the, the nature that, that had been ruined by generations and millennia of the degradation of sin. Okay, two more. The nature of the divine sacrifice, mm-hmm. right? She, she talks about how it was separation from God. And she actually uses that language there. And then, of course, she uses that phrase, infinite sacrifice, two times. This is getting, giving us an insight that Jesus was verily God. And the sacrifice that he made was an infinite one. And then finally, in as you said, those last two pages there, she goes deep into the nature of salvation and mm-hmm. redemption. And she does this really great thing where she describes the mystery of human nature being elevated because in some wonderful and mysterious sense, the destiny of humanity is bound up with Jesus, who is now a human being. He mm-hmm. is the Son of Man. The, a human being is right now seated at the right hand of God. You know, our good friend Ty Gibson makes this point a lot, that, that even if no person were saved, let's just say that every single human being was lost, humanity would still be saved because humanity in Christ is seated at the right hand of God because he's the second Adam. And so, I mean, she's just getting into the nature of such big things here that for me, the word was nature. And wow, you want to talk about just a a very accessible and brief introduction to eternally significant and eternally consequential things. And the nature of those things look no further than Steps to Christ, chapter one. I mean, it's really mind-boggling how much is in this just a few pages. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. And I, I love that idea that at the end, she says, when you think about all these things, it will have a subduing power. Hmm. It'll calm you down. It'll take away fear and confusion and anxiety. Mm-hmm. And it'll just allow, allow us to rest in God and in his love and in his goodness. This was a great conversation. Mm-hmm. Thank you all for tuning in. Just a quick word. Um, we had to... The guys at Types and Symbols asked me to let you know that the the journals, if you have a, a Light and Life collection journal, um, the binding is supposed to look like that. So the binding is not connected here, but that's by design. Apparently it's called a Swiss binding, and what it allows you to do is to lay every page throughout the entire book flat. So apparently some people thought, and I was going to make this announcement at the beginning, but I forgot... Um, apparently some people thought that that was broken because it looks like that, but that's how it's supposed to be. And some people have even glued it back. Apparently (laughs) Mark told me that a couple people were like, Oh no, this was broken. So I glued it back. Well, that will actually defeat the purpose (laughs) of the lay flat binding. Those Swiss people really know what's going on. Good with watches. Good with bindings. Good with chocolate. Good with chocolate. Okay. This was an amazing conversation. Thank you so much, Elise. You'll be back with us tomorrow. Same time, same place. Mm -hmm. The Sinner's Need of Christ, Chapter 2. And we have a little announcement, a little surprise 
Elise and I, that we will make tomorrow night. So you'll want to be here for that. We had well over 500 people tuned in for the duration. I was paying attention to the numbers. So if you've joined us on Instagram Live, thank you so much. If you joined us via YouTube, thank you so much. Um, Elise, I think you had our opening prayer, but if you don't mind, I'll put you right on the spot and ask you to close as well. But what if they want to hear you pray? I, they hear me pray all the time. Okay. I like the way you pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that you love us so comprehensively and mm. so creatively and so tenaciously. Yes. And we know that your love is all around us, mm. but it's up to us to pay attention to it. Yeah, and that's so right. I pray for each one of us, each person listening tonight and that will listen in the future, that you would help us to notice um, the nature of things mm. in nature, that you would help us to focus on the life and death and love of Jesus, and that you would ground us in that reality mm. so that um, you can give us the lives that you want to give us. And yeah. I pray a special blessing on every person involved in this reading challenge that you would bless them for the time they're investing in this mm -hmm. um, and bring us all back tomorrow. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.